University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkway. Visit ubc-br.org or at ubcbr on Facebook for more information. invite you to join me in a responsive prayer together. Our prayer this morning is thanks be to God. Uh, This is an offering that we will offer in prayer together and various times throughout the prayer you will join me in saying this line, uh, thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, on this day set aside to honor and remember mothers, we give thanks for our mothers. We are grateful that you chose to give us life through them and that they received the gift of life from your hands and gave it to us. Thank you for the sacrifices they have made in carrying us and giving birth to us. And so we pray, thanks be to God. We pray for the mothers who are wise in their years, whose children are grown. Grant them joy and satisfaction for a job well done. We pray for new moms experiencing changes that could not be predicted. Grant them rest and peace as they trust for you in the future. And so we pray, thanks be to God. We pray for pregnant moms who will soon bring new children into this world. Grant them patience and good counsel in the coming months. We pray for the moms who face the demands of single parenthood. Grant them strength and wisdom. We pray for moms who are raising their children in poverty. Grant them relief and justice. And so we pray, thanks be to God. We pray for stepmoms. Grant them patience and understanding and love. We pray for moms who are separated from their children. Grant them faith and hope. We pray for moms in marriages that are in crisis. Grant them support and insight. And so we pray, thanks be to God. We pray for moms who have lost their children. Grant them comfort in the resurrection of Christ. We pray for those who have faced the painful journey of infertility. Grant them healing and peace, courage and connection to you on this journey. And so we pray, thanks be to God. We pray for moms who chose to adopt their children. Grant them peace and confidence as they trust in your providence. We pray for those people who are present, who are grieving the loss of their mothers, especially this on their first Mother's Day without her. Grant them comfort and hope in Christ's resurrection. And so we pray, thanks be to God. We pray for all mothers that emulate examples of faith, of your compassion, and of your strength. And then model to us, for all the rest of us, what it means to be your disciple. Bless them on this special day. In Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Over the last several weeks, we've been in this Moneyball series. We've been looking at uh, our culture's appetite for more stuff, for for busyness, for more, for, for work. And we've been deconstructing these cultural norms through the lens of what Jesus is inviting us to in this new way of life. 
And Jesus doesn't selectively talk about these things. Again, the Bible addresses money over 2,100 times. And in comparison, that is, the Bible talks about believing 273 times, praying 371 times, and love 714 times. Jesus spoke about money 16 out of the 38 parables. One out of seven verses in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are about money. This leaves Jesus talking about these things 25% of the time. But then when you compare this to the rest of the passages with the number of times that Jesus talked about work and busyness, it certainly challenges us to consider why. Why did Jesus talk about this stuff? So we spent several weeks deconstructing our cultural norms. It's time to reconstruct a new way of looking at life through the way of Jesus. And today we begin that process by looking at discovering what contentment looks like. And for this, we turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, and the words will be up here on the screen. 1 and 2 Timothy are named after the person that, that Paul is writing to, Timothy, a companion and co-worker in the church. And if you recall from the story of Acts, Timothy was the one that Paul decided to do that adult circumcision for after he just worked hard to get the church to ban that whole circumcision thing. And then they set out on this road trip together. What an awful way to begin a trip. And yet Paul, he addresses Timothy in such a way. He's, he's writing this pastoral letter to encourage Timothy, to equip him. But then at the end of it, in chapter 6, 6 through 12, I'll be reading the New Revised Standard Version. Of course, there is great gain in godliness combined with contentment. For you brought nothing into this world so that we can take nothing out of it. But if you have food and clothing, we will be content with these things. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from faith and pierced themselves with many pains. But as for you, man of God, shun all this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and for which you have made good confessions in the presence of many witnesses. You've heard me say it before, you'll hear me say it again, that as much as things change, they really do stay the same. Paul is writing to Timothy about the battle between the love of mammon, the love of stuff, the love of more, the love of money, and, and the battle between that and contentment. Now, we don't know the exact circumstances that Paul is writing to Timothy because most of the letter is bound up in guiding him as a leader and pastor of a local church. And yet here at the end, he turns to this lure of greed and abundance and desire for more, the lure of excess and wealth, Paul writes. It changes the trajectory of your priorities. Don't be fooled. You will lose everything if you worship this God of more. Paul uses the word contentment twice in his charge to Timothy. It's the Greek word archaeo, which, which means translation, it, it means satisfaction or sufficient or enough. It's the same word that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians when he wrote to them, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. And when he wrote this, And, and God is able to make all graces abound in you so that you will have all sufficiencies in everything 
that you might abound in the abundance of every good deed. Or it's the word used by the writer in the book of Hebrews where he says, make sure that your character is free for the love of money, being content with what you have. For God said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. You see, Paul is making clear that there's, there's two distinct paths before Timothy, and he must choose which one he follows. The first path is, is the desire for excess, the desire for always wanting more, and the other is a path of enough, a path of contentment. Jesus told a profound story saying, there were two builders, one who built their house on a beautiful beach and the other who built their house on the hard stone overlooking the beach. Both built really beautiful homes. I mean, who wouldn't want to view like other of these? Except a storm came, and the floodwaters occurred, and strong winds pounded against both of the homes. When the storm subsided, there was great joy, and there was also great sadness. The house built on stone overlooking the beach stood strong, but the house built on the beach was gone. It was like it was never there in the first place. See, the obvious characterization of this narrative is to say that those who pursue the excess and desire for more, it's like they're building their house on sand. But I think that's an easy way to look at this text. What I want us to consider is that Jesus is actively calling us to seek something beyond this. More, more often than not, this is an attempt to live such dualistic patterns in our life in which we want the best of both worlds. We want to live a life full of excess stuff and busyness and work and work and work but we also want a life of contentment and trust in God. When our hearts are full of complaining, when our lives are so full of it's never good enough, can we truly be following Christ? Listen, there's great wisdom in Proverbs 30, 15. It says, the leech has two daughters. Give and give, they cry. We can still follow Jesus and, and have the mindset of wanting more, you see, Paul is trying to warn us of this kind of snare. The problem is we don't recognize it as wanting. Oftentimes, we don't recognize it comes out in the form of complaining. We live in a culture where things are never good enough. We didn't get our order right. The shipping was, was too slow. I had to wait 10 minutes for that coffee drink. They didn't look at me the right way. They didn't talk to me that way. This didn't come out the way that I imagined. As one author put it, how often do we want things to be exactly the way that we want them to be? How often do we get angry about the four unfathomable things while taking the six favorable things for granted in daily life? It seems often we focus on complaining and about hating unfavorable things. As a result, we lose time and energy to enjoy the blessings of life. As a great Greek philosopher so Socrates, or also known as Socrates, as I almost said from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, uh, he who is not contented with what he has will not be contented with what he does not have. You remember when you were a kid and your parents used to tell you those little white lies? Uh, take, for example, I was told that if I swallowed watermelon seeds, then I would grow a watermelon in my belly. Now, they told me this at 18, and I believed them, so it shows you how much common sense I had. Or you're told by your parents that if you swallowed a piece of gum, it would take you seven years for it to digest. Fact check, parents. Your gum actually goes immediately from your stomach uh, into your large and small intestines in this process. It doesn't take seven years. A friend told me that his parents used to tell him that he had 10,000 words that he could use per month. 
And if he was uh, about to reach his limit, his father would remind him on a very talkative day that he thinks he's at 9,000 words, so he might want to watch what he says today. Someone told me that their parents used to lie to them and tell them that when the ice cream truck was coming through the neighborhood playing the music, the music was to indicate to you that they were out of ice cream completely. A colleague of mine shared that, uh, that her dad used to tell her that if she played with fire, that she would wet the bed at night. You see, we often tell these little lies to convince ourselves of these things, and I think that's what Paul is trying to get at in our text. We've been told our whole lives through trillions of dollars of marketing that we will never be satisfied unless we have more or better. Whether that be a career or a fatter wallet or consumer products or clothes or jewelry or busyness or fill in the blank, but what if all these things are just a lie, a facade of a life that will never add up to what we truly desire? See, that's what Paul is calling Timothy to. He says in verse 6, Of course, there is great gain and godliness combined with contentment. For we brought nothing into this world so that we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we are content in these things. This is an invitation to discover contentment, to find sufficiency, to find satisfaction in what God provides for us. For, that, for Paul, he's, he's arguing it's godliness and contentment. They go hand in hand. And so he urges Timothy, Timothy to see that stuff will not make us content because we'll never have enough. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, when he urges his followers not to store up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. So stuff, content, busyness, work, wallet, these things will never give us genuine contentment. Again, it's not to fill in this cliche faith, but, but Paul is calling us to discover contentment by following the leadership of of God by trusting that God knows what God is doing. Paul also writes this in that famous passage from Philippians. Uh, he writes, I am not saying these things because I am in need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and everything, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or as he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Contentment is not found in tangible things. Contentment is found in and through God. Now down here in Louisiana, we have a staple dish called red beans and rice. And where I grew up, it was black-eyed peas and rice. And if I was to be honest with you, red beans and rice blow black-eyed peas and rice way out of the water because black-eyed peas and rice doesn't really, it's just salt and pepper. But down here, we, we have all these wonderful flavors we mix into it. And if you've ever made red beans and rice, then you know it's not a simple meal. It's not as simple as it seems. You see, you can't just boil beans and rice and they'll be ready. You actually have to soak your beans overnight. The beans are soaked overnight because it takes time for the water to saturate the beans and break down the sugar compounds. Plus, the water used to, to soak in the beans can be used as a great broth for whatever you're mixing in with your seasoning later on. And, and after you finish soaking the beans, you have to rinse them off and re remove those flaking skins. 
And only then can you add your beans to the other delicious content that you're, you're throwing in there, such as peppers and onions and sausage and dazzling spices. All in all, from the time you soak the beans to the time you sit down to have the meal is about 11 to 12 hours. Now, our attitude today is just, well, just stick it in the Instant Pot or, or buy canned beans. But I promise you, it's just not the same. Some things take time to process and to perfect. And you know, that's what it takes in order for us to learn to live content in all circumstances. We can't expect to step out of a system of abundance and excess and busyness and wanting and the next day discover contentment in the way of Christ. Discovering contentment in and through God takes time. Every day we must experience the choices of no longer trusting in our cultural systems that tell us we have to have more. Instead, we begin to trust in God's provision that God provides us each day. A new way of seeing life doesn't transpire overnight. It takes continued journey with Jesus each and every day as a learning and growing opportunity. Living into this new way of life takes work and sacrifice. There is no gain without the process of time and learning. And this is the antithesis of our commodity culture that says, get what you want right now at the right price. But the process of living content continues to change our priorities. What did Paul say in verse 11? But as for you, man of God, shun all this, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, and endurance. Discovering contentment is about a new way of life. Do you remember that moment when you begin to realize that some of the things that you were taught growing up weren't true? Take, for example, Napoleon Bonaparte, the, the great French emperor. Um, when we look at Napoleon, the first thing that comes to mind is we think that he is this tiny little guy. That's where we get this terminology, the Napoleon complex. But did you know that he actually wasn't short at all? Napoleon was 5'7", which was above average height for the common Frenchman in his given day. The actual idea of Napoleon being a small guy came from um, English propaganda when they were at war against them during this time. Also, we ought to really kind of like the guy because we wouldn't be a part of the United States if Napoleon hadn't sold off this territory pretty, uh, at a pretty expensive price uh, to the United States. We grew up learning in school that the presumptive history that that the English were the first Europeans to settle into America, Jamestown and Plymouth Rock. In actuality, the Vikings, they actually landed in North America nearly 600 years before this time, more than 400 years before Columbus ravaged the Caribbean. We've been told for nearly 150 years that Thomas Edison invented the light bulb. He didn't invent the light bulb because there was dozens of other people who were doing it at this time. He was just the best at lying that said he invented it first and then marketing himself to uh, create this electric contract companies with all of these major cities. We've been told that goldfish only have a memory span of, of three seconds. They, in fact, have a memory span of three months. You might want to be careful what you say around them. You see, we've been told our whole lives that, that less is, is not more. That better is better. That new is fulfilling. And God's word calls us to something different. Discovering contentment in and through God is an invitation to see things in a new way. What we once saw as a need, we now see as a want. 
What we once saw as inadequacy, we now see as sufficient. What we once saw as easy to complain about, we now take the time to pause and have patience and to count our blessings. Contentment transforms what we once would complain four out of the ten things that didn't go right in our day. Jesus calls us to see the blessings of each and every day. Whether we realize it or not, many of our choices are, are built around our own drive for comfort. We want to be happy, to experience pleasure, to escape stress. After all, no one likes a life of pain and discomfort. But, but what is the price of that comfort? Jesus teaches us this when he says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry, for now you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and exclude you and insult you and reject you as a name of evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in the kingdom of God. But Jesus actually goes on to say, Woe to you who are rich, for you've already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go on hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will weep and you will mourn. Jesus is teaching us to, to shift out of our understanding of how we, we see in this world and into the way that God sees this world. And God desires to give us a life of blessings and lasting fulfillment. As one author put it, in the spiritual practice, contentment is not about having a passive, laid-back attitude and doing nothing because everything is perfect. There is no need to improve. It means we realize and accept what is here and now. When we are content with things and conditions around us, we are more likely to be calm and open to God. With calm and open mind, we create more inner space for clarity and understanding. That is what it needs means on our day-to-day -day life to make real progress. I heard a story recently from a psychologist who was studying contentment, and he actually became a, a, a Buddhist monk for a period of time. And while he was at the monastery training, he... Um, went into the restricted section of the library and read a book he wasn't supposed to. That sounds like something from Harry Potter. As a result, he was given the task of cutting grass with scissors. In fact, he did this for at least four hours a day. And when he first started this, he confessed that he was so focused on how stupid this was that he was fuming and frustrations. His body and his mind were, were full of tension and then he began to laugh at the absurdity of having to cut all of this grass with scissors. But he writes, And all of a sudden, it actually became quite a pleasant activity. I realized that I had the opportunity to define the experience of the activity by how I was relating to it in my mind. Instead of just cutting the grass with scissors, he began to be present in the moment. Instead of the sound, he began to hear the sound of the scissors maneuvering over the grass, even the sound of cutting the blades of grass and hearing it hit the ground. He was present in the moment, not worried about what he had to do next. Being content in the moment was enough. The great revivalist preacher Jonathan Edwards wrote, Surely there is something in the unruffled calm of nature that that overawes our anxieties and doubts. The sight of deep blue sky, the clustering stars above, seem to impart quite to the mind. Now, it's hard to read these words from Jonathan Edwards to know that he was also the person that said, um, sinners in the hands of the angry God, you're going to burn, burn, burn. But you see, 
in order for us to discover contentment in and through God, we must be present in the moment of now. How often do our actions each day are wrapped up in, into propelling our busyness and our congestion and the excessiveness of our culture? How often do our actions take each day are, are wrapped up in what's down the road with our work that we're so stressed that we can't even focus on what's happening in our lives now? Harvard released a study that found that our minds are lost in thought 47% of the time. Stop and imagine that. 47% of our time. What does that tell us? It tells us that we're not present in our moment. The experts directly link being lost in thought to unhappiness. And the head researcher stated that the human mind is a wandering mind, and a wandering mind is an unhappy mind. The ability to think about what is not happening is cognitive achievement that comes at an emotional cost. You see, God is inviting us into an interactive narrative with Jesus to discover contentment each day. It means that we must find ourselves being present and mindful of what God is doing in and through us and the people around us each day. But this requires that we do things like put our phones down and to listen and to watch what's happening around us. It means we cut back on our busyness in order to find stillness in our life. It means we shift our priorities from our wallets to finding that with actually less, we have more. It means that we rid ourselves of the stuff that we think we're going to find joy in in order to find joy in simplicity. It means that we find simple and profound ways to be present with God. It means that we readjust our focus so that we can be present in the moment. As Paul writes in verse 11, but you, man of God, flee all these things and pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and endurance. Fight the good fight. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and made in good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Do you remember that story from the Hebrew people wandering in the wilderness for 40 years? Um, now, wandering was a result of their incredulity, and yet God chose to be present with them in this moment. And God chose to provide for them each day what they need to live content. God promised Moses that each day it would rain down bread from heaven. The people called it manna. The Hebrew word manna literally means, what is this? Because they didn't understand what it was. But the people were instructed only to collect what they needed for that day. Except on Friday, they were able to collect what they needed for the next day of the Sabbath day. God was not providing uh, what they needed for way down the road. God was going to take care of them. God was going to be present with them. God was going to continue to provide the manna even a year from now. But they were called to be present in the moment to collect what they needed now. The message is contentment for today don't worry about bread for tomorrow. Trust that God will provide for you faithfully to live today and tomorrow through wisdom and gifts and inspiration given to you by God. So may we embark on this journey together of discovering what contentment looks like through Jesus. May we not venture in this journey alone, but together as a faith community, may we discover what it means to live together in contentment. In this hectic 24-7 chaotic pace of ceaselessness, may we learn that the Spirit of God gives the ability for us to stop and discover. May we take up our scissors to cut our lawns. If it means that we can be quiet and calm, to hear the voice of God that's beckoning us into a new way of life. Today, may we discover enough 
through God today and the next day and the next day and the days to come.